You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Let me say I want to appreciate the prayers that you have said for me this week, if you have been praying for me, because I didn't think I would be able to stand here before you to preach. And yet I think that it's a message that it's timely. I couldn't postpone it either. Because next week, Jonah will be back and they will be starting a series in Colossians. So this is only one opportunity that I have to be able to say what I'm about to say. I believe that each of you may have had your awkward moments in life, maybe a little bit, many times. Recently, when I went to Africa, I had a one, a homeless beggar in the local town that I knew when he was a little boy. This homeless beggar always Whenever he sees me, he rushes to me. And he made me a target of taking begging money. And every time he comes, I give the money. But he appears to be suffering from drug-inflicted mental illness. So I was getting sick of his nagging insistence. And so I decided to take a stand, really. I realized his begging had been turned into demand, really, because when he comes to ask, he will not go away until I give him something. So I told him this time, I'm sorry, there's no money for you today. I don't have it. Only to realize shortly that he, he was trying to dip his hand in my pocket. <laughs> and this was in the public. And you know, when I go there, I go to preach in the local church. I was on my collar. So what do you do? I was sort of like helpless, really about it all. Good enough, two people were watching and then they rushed to my aid and they got hold of him and dragged him off. Imagine the feeling that I had that moment. It was a difficult one. I don't think it was anything godly. Today I'm talking about seeking the least, the last, and the lost. In our midst, in our community, in our society, but I want to say to you that this is no easy. It's it's tough. It's very difficult. 
In the last few months, I've been thinking and praying. And this has been the thinking behind this message. First, by worldly standards, we live in a beautiful country. A wealthy and affluent society. And there is much that we can give God thanks. I don't think we should take it for granted. But also at the same time, I have wondered whether such an affluent cultural mindset has not, without intention, altered our gospel view or what we are supposed to understand as a gospel imperative towards the least, the last, and the lost. The thinking is that we got everything. So really, everybody should be able to get. And so if they don't, it's their own fault. So without realizing it, it's already happened. Secondly, as you may be aware, I also work as a community chaplain for the Melbourne Anglican Foundation. And the task I was given is to focus on young people migrants at risk. But I have to tell you that in the last two and a half years, I came to realize that to identify these young people. And even if you do identify, particularly those who are in need, who need the help most, it becomes a precarious task. The reason is because they are hidden away, either by themselves or by their families. Because they are from an honor and shame culture. And so to talk about somebody's brokenness is sort of like an embarrassment. So when you add to our affluence, it becomes difficult until they end up in crime and in prison. Thirdly, it's about Red Door. As a church, we have a vision which says a community of people helping people make all our life about Jesus. All of life to make all of life all about Jesus. But within this, we have a public square ministry, which I think has, we haven't focused very much about. We want to engage 
in the public square ministry. With those outside this congregation. With things that concern the community at large, such that when we make a contribution, it makes an enormous difference. I have thought and reflected. And I think this is the right time because Jonah did go with you 12 weeks almost about teachings on the Holy Spirit. Because these sermons like this are not for the simple hearted and the spiritually weak. We thought you needed to be prepared so that you can hear this sermon. And therefore I have prayed. And when I look around, I realize that when I drive here just five minutes away, we have a cluster of prisons within our geographical area. And I think the Spirit is saying that we need to do something. The Spirit is telling me that we need to do something. And when we go in there to cater for those prisoners, it's not only the prisoners. In fact, when you sit down to listen to the news, almost a half of the news has to do with some sort of negativity. It's either a crime or something like that, you know. This is something that is happening in our very eyes. But it ends there. We don't know what happened after. It strikes me very hard when I meet a child and tells me, my dad killed my mom. And that child lives in the community. We don't talk about it. Mom is dead, dad is in prison. That is the scenario that we have. But then we can't find who they are until you go to the prison, then come out of it to know who they are so that they can get the help they need. So this really provides us a real gospel opportunity here that we must not choose to neglect. And I think it links very well with the least, the last, and the lost. The prison itself. This is what Paul Gill, a prison chaplain in Western Australia, describes the least, the last, and the lost. But he was talking about prisoners. The population of the prisoners in most Western countries is disproportionately, disproportionately made up of those from poorer classes, including those struggling with mental health issues, the unemployed, the homeless, indigenous people, and the other minority groups facing discrimination. Most children and the juveniles in prison come mainly from backgrounds of neglect and abuse. In the industrialized world, many countries have increased their prison populations over the last three decades. 
to include people living with mental illness, those suffering from addiction and others experiencing social exclusion. So it captures it. People just sometimes don't choose to end up in prison. Although there are some, particularly those ones, and he writes about this, what he calls career criminals. Career criminals tend to be people of above average intelligence. They are articulate willers and dealers. They often become involved in crime by dealing in large amounts of contraband, laundering money, and through tax evasion, a part of wide network that extends throughout the country and internationally. They typically lead lavish lifestyles, fly first class, drive expensive car vehicles, enjoy extravagant holidays, and they spend large amounts of money without a second thought. One guy described the expensive and the prolonged holidays. There were always plenty of hookahs, drugs, and booze. He said, we spend most days around the pool and the most nights parting. The I don't care. People who are both spiritually poor, but materially rich. Unfortunately, some of those people include pastors or clergy for abusing children. Jesus, well known and hated, despised because he associated with outcasts, tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers. Had a vision. He himself. And this is his vision. Keep going. Uh, not that one. It's, it's Luke, Luke 4, 18, 19. Are you there? But this is what the vision says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So in the eyes of Jesus, human prison serves as evidence for sin and the pain it inflicts. On the list, the last and the lost. He does not see prison the way we see it as a place for those who have committed crime to be resented, kept out of sight, out of mind, and out of any talk. And you can see even here, I feel that even as I talk about it, as I said in my moment of awkwardness, it's very confronting. But you know what? Jesus sees these people the same way he sees, he sees us in the same way that he sees these people. We all need saving. It's very clear in Romans that all of us 
Maybe the only difference between them and us is that we are not cold. So they need saving. He says he's here to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He is not there to judge. The time for judgment is coming. He is there to forgive. He reaches out. The God, the creator of the universe, comes to earth and lives the luxurious and comes to those in that situation. He expects you and me to do the same. So this is what, this was the difficult passage that we were reading about before. If we read verse 31 to 34, Matthew, uh, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father in Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked. No, I think that's it. That first did I beat there. So this passage unfortunately has become so controversial that when I first, it seems to me, or maybe it's there elsewhere, when I first came to Australia, this was something I began to notice that the Christian church, the Christians, are divided and split into two. On the one hand, there are those who use this passage to justify a reductionist gospel that mainly focuses on social action. That means the gospel is about taking care of the poor because this gospel says when you do it, you do it to Jesus. The proclaim of the gospel is thrown away. For some, because that's confronting. To talk about sin, to talk about hell, to talk about judgment is as embarrassing as talking about criminals and prison. So to make it look nice, we talk about cooking soup, providing these things to people. avoiding the hard stuff. But on the other hand, the other, there are those who overlook it on the basis that it looks like a justification by works that Martin Luther and the reformers protested against the medieval Catholicism. It's a passage they don't want to hear about. But I think that's a wrong approach to scripture. We must deal with it. We must wrestle. Because neglecting parts of the scripture, one of the things that struck me 
perhaps very emotionally and very badly, is when I, when I came here, I went to some churches and I found that there were maybe two or three elderly parishioners. And that was sort of like, it gave me a demoralization that was quite severe. And I think one of the reasons is because picking the scripture, this is good when we talk about it, people will feel nice and they will be happy and go, oh, when we talk about this, no, no, no. They are going to be resentful and they won't come back. If that's the approach to scripture, it's very dangerous. But I think what Jesus is teaching in this passage is the day of judgment. Jesus is giving a description about judgment day. Just like anything and the hell and prison, it's a very uncomfortable topic to talk about. People don't want to hear it at all. But the significance of the theology behind prisons that it's a shadow of what is to come on Judgment Day. It is an inconvenient biblical truth that every one of us will have to give an account of how you, I have used the opportunity to serve other people how you have used the opportunity. And I'm saying there is an opportunity lying five minutes drive away from us. Jesus will come around and they look at that prison, look at the people there, then come and look at us here. He goes like, hmm. Left. It's a day that will bring surprise. Why? Because we are here busy among ourselves talking about this is how the service should be. That's this song is what we come on. In Jesus' eyes. What is he seeing in us? Jesus is teaching his followers to be responsible in the use of their time, to be ready to be in preparation. Because the king of glory will finally come. We like it or not, he's coming. And he's going to be a judge. This time, it's not going to be the year of the Lord's favor. Do not be confused or lost with the theologies that are out there that either bury people or mislead people to some sort of unrealistic Christian gospel. Some 
will be rewarded. This is what Jesus said. I was naked and they clothed me. I was sick and they took care of me. I was in prison and they visited me. Then the writers will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or fast and they give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and they visit you? Now, one thing I mentioned, I, did, I, I didn't mention is that the same embarrassment that normally keeps us from talking about these issues is also the same embarrassment that keeps people from seeking pastoral care. Because pastoral care sometimes involves talking about difficulties in life. For some people, even as they are Christians, they find that extremely difficult. And they are struggling with the issues in their life. Jesus will return unannounced. And what does he expect of us? To find us caring for the poor, those without clothes, strangers, and the sick. This way, the least and the last and the lost of his days. But I think it also included widows, orphans, and the demon-possessed as well. When we do that, we mimic exactly, and we follow what Jesus Christ himself did when he was here on earth that mission of his. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. Freedom for refugees, release for the captives, sight for the blind. That's what we do. This is not justification by works. And the image of dividing the sheep is exactly the sheep and the goats. It means the destiny of the sheep and the goat is long, long determined. Because the shepherds in Israel used to put the sheep aside and the goats because the sheep has the wool on so they can stay in the cold. And then the goats don't have the, so they are put aside. It's already all over their body the reason for their parting. So it's long determined. It's not something that they have achieved. Come you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the earth. It has been long there. In fact, it's not going to be judgment day. Jesus expects us to work not that we want to earn our salvation. But what that does is, Green puts it this way, that we are saved by grace, but we are judged by works. So in other words, the works that we do, 
are a reflection whether the salvation of grace we have received in our hearts is real or just not real. But we are never saved through the works. Get that very clear. Because sometimes it can be so confusing if you find a text like this in James chapter 2, which says, my brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in, your, in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and they say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Next slide, please. Oh, okay. There is another bit that I had wanted to be quoted, and it's about, about works. Which says, what, it talks about dead, faith without works is dead. I think it's from verse 14, probably. Faith without works is dead. So what Paul, what, what, what James is underlining is that the fact is that he's not saying, contradicting Paul, that no, you need to be saved by works. No, it's saying that the works display the works of the grace that you have received. As I conclude, I know that sometimes you can easily say that the discrimination that we read about in Timothy is something that is horrible, and we say, no, 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 never should it happen. We don't want to see it happen. But actually, it's happening. And look at this. The next slide. Next. Many people in prison are looking for answers, and if Christianity does not try to meet their needs, then they will look to other religions, or they will continue to use alcohol or drugs in an attempt to escape their problems. Often people do come into some form of relationship with Jesus while in prison. But on release, these new Christians find it difficult to find churches that are willing or able to accept them with all their baggage. I've often contacted churches to try to link people into a church community, but the silence on the other end of the phone has said much more than words could ever say. In many cases, this negative attitude was due to apprehension and a genuine concern for existing church members. There is nothing wrong with this, as, as we need to act wisely, but sometimes it was due, perhaps, to fear of the reactions of other church members. The biggest problem, it seems to me, is that people do not know what to do 
in this situation and they do not have the resources. This in turn means that church leaders are not equipped to grasp the opportunity that is before them. This is a bit of summary, but the things that prisoners go through, the hell lot of emotions that they are in in prison, losing fellowship, family, whatever. Once they are out, they have a stigma on their back. So suicide rates are very high. And uh, I'm preaching here because I want to begin to undertake part-time into the prison system. And I'm here to ask for your support and your prayers and your blessings such that I may go in and grasp this opportunity in your name, on your behalf. May God bless you. Let us pray. Almighty God, there is no one who is beyond saving. Even the worst sinner can still be saved. You have entrusted the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel and the reaching out to the least, the lost, and the last to the church. Help us in this endeavor. Give us the power of the spirit and equip us to be ready to do that which you honestly want to do. We may not save all, but we may save some. And your name will be glorified. This we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.